friends and welcome to episode 10 of cool story with david j mcneil thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support this episode is all about coming to a proverbial fork in the road for millions of people around the world the quietness of this pandemic lockdown has given many a moment of much needed clarity so many people are asking themselves if they are living their best lives right now and whether this pandemic is a good excuse for a reboot or at the very least a reevaluation of priorities this week's story is about a young man Belinda and I met several years ago in South Africa. Richard de Gouveia was our game ranger for several days as we toured Kruger National Park. We spent our days together in the bush tracking the Big Five, and our nights dining and sharing stories by the campfire. It was during one of these evenings spent bonding that Richard shared with us the story of the catastrophic loss he was dealt that would make him rethink everything about who he was and how he wanted to live the rest of his life. That difficult journey began for Richard on Boxing Day 2004, when a family friend called to see if he had seen the news about the massive tsunami that had overwhelmed much of Southeast Asia, including the Thai resorts nestled in the Pipi Islands, where Richard's parents were vacationing. As you can imagine, the journey that began that Boxing Day morning would be a turbulent one, yet time and time again, Richard describes these days as the best of times and the worst of times. So stay tuned for my chat with Richard. Ordinarily, most episodes of this broadcast feature a little something we like to call Please don't try this at home However, this week we will not be featuring an installment of Please don't try this at home Instead, I'm putting an appeal to you, my listeners, to send in a crazy or weird story of your own to be included in an upcoming episode. That may sound daunting, but it's actually pretty straightforward. All I need you to do is send me a story it can be recorded on your smartphone that is approximately two minutes in length. Just make sure you begin it with the greeting, Hi, my name is blah blah blah, and this is my story. And wrap it up at the end with, Hi, my name is blah blah blah, and that was my story. Then I take your story that sounds like this. As I was listening intently to the story Baz was telling, I inadvertently sucked the chunks of sauce off my knuckles. And turn it into something that sounds like this. As I was listening intently to the story Baz was telling, I inadvertently sucked the chunks of sauce off my knuckles. Pretty straightforward, really. So if you'd like to possibly have your story included in an upcoming episode, record something funny, concise, and engaging, an email to my email address, info at davidjmacneil.com, with the subject line, Please don't try this at home. Now that we have that out of the way, it's time for my chat with Richard de Gouveia. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm fantastic, David. Thank you so much for having me on your show. That's great. I appreciate you being on my show. It's been a while now since we, uh, we first met and we've seen each other. Um, we met back in 2013. I believe it was uh, late January, early February in 2013. Uh, Belinda and I were traveling in South Africa, and we were so lucky that we were able to do a full week in the bush um, 
visiting some of the game lodges and and uh and one of the places that we got to visit was uh sabi sabi uh a little bush camp which is uh i don't know if you were working specifically at that one at the time but you were there that week and and you were uh our host and that's yeah. where we met yeah so so I, I got I got sent out to look after the VIP guests. So when you guys arrived, it was red carpets out and everything needed to be perfect. <laughs> I, I was based at Bush Lodge at that time, but I lived at Little Bush Camp for, for many years and um Sabi Sabi private game reserve is still a place that I hold very dear in my heart and still consider a, a second home. And that trip with you guys was just spectacular we had great experiences good connection we had great campfire stories and obviously incredible game sightings while we were doing it yes yeah we saw a lot of amazing animals and we like you said we we had a lot of time to chat we had a lot of dinners together and uh drinks in the evening and it was a lot of fun and you were saying vip treatment it was very much vip treatment because at the time uh, belinda was working for uh, a company named go away which she worked for for quite a few years and uh because um oftentimes you know how well you know how this works i'm explaining this for the audience uh the uh um, people like belinda she was uh the product manager for, for the africa department and middle east so she would often travel to places on i guess they call them fam tours where you go visit a place and you get to experience what the your clients would experience and when you do that of course the the place that you're visiting the resorts the the lodges they like to really uh, roll out the red carpet to make sure that you have an experience that you uh, you feel good about sharing with your clients back home so that's exactly what happened and you did a, sur- a superb job uh making us feel at home and and, and really presenting uh, uh sabi sabi in a way that it uh, it deserved to be presented so that was a great experience for us and that was my first experience on safari so it was even more amazing oh thank you david it, it was a pleasure having you guys and again just having those experiences and those familiarization trips you you often People will come through for a day to familiarize themselves with the lodge. You guys were there a couple of days, which gave you a bit more time and gave me a bit of time to to really show you what it was all about. Yeah, yeah. It was an amazing experience. And I, I've uh, often told people the thing that I was surprised about the experience was I thought it was going to be more of a passive experience, you know, sitting in the vehicle and kind of driving around and just kind of taking it in, whatever. But there was so much about, um, and I will say uh, that this is something that I think all of the all of the lodges are trying to do now. All, all of the rangers and the trackers have got an extreme amount of, of knowledge about the bush, every aspect of it, so that when you go out, and this is what you did with us, you really explain how that uh, that system works, that ecological system works, right down to how the termites uh, are necessary to 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 uh, uh, maintaining uh, uh, the bush, and how the elephants play such a, a major role, and and so um, I came home feeling like I, I really knew a fair bit about what what that whole ecosystem was all about. Um, so that was the thing that surprised me the most: that the, the knowledge and how much knowledge on each game drive was shared with all of the guests. But that, that's. I think the industry's changed so much over the years. So 20 years ago, people, even 25 years ago, people were running around with the shortest shorts they could wear, a beer in one hand, cigarette in the other, and just trying to impress the ladies that came along on the on the journey. Right. And it was, it was all bravado and ego that came along. And it's really become a very professional 
career, when I started doing guiding, it was, I didn't believe it was a job or, or had the potential for me to be 13 years down the line like I am now and in a full-on profession of guiding. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't wasn't an option. And then when you're talking about all that information and, and the little things, the termites and how everything interacts with everything, that's where my true passion lies is the interconnectivity of everything, how it all works together to create something because I think it – it teaches us so many greater lessons than just the information that you're getting when you start yeah. applying it to life and even current systems that are going on in the world. It, it really enlightens us as to what's happening and why it's happening. Right. Yeah. One of the things, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you specifically right now uh, was because uh, as I was saying to you, I think, I think that the, the, this, this, this COVID-19 experience uh, once we start to get to the other side of it, I think a lot of people are going to take a look at their lives and say to themselves, I don't really enjoy how I'm living my life right now, or I don't, I don't, you know, I, the way I have my life set up isn't working for me. I don't enjoy my job. I'm not getting as much out of it as I, I would like, or there's something else that I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and, and you're a person who, who, who did a, a sort of a 180. Uh, you know, you had a very different life and then a, um, an unfortunate uh, uh, circumstance happened and, and you decided that, uh, that you wanted to change the way you were living your life. Why don't we, why don't you first start by telling our audience a bit about um, the work that you were doing pri- uh, prior to uh, being a game ranger uh, upon graduation from school? I guess you were in your 20s when you, yeah. uh, when this story started, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so what the story basically starts at a point where I was studying at university to, I was doing a Bachelor of Science in Geography and Environmental Management. And the idea was always to, I, I had a love for nature, but I had been indoctrinated into the idea of money, security, education, corporate job, get your stuff done and then move forward from there. And Mm -hmm. while I was in university and I wasn't the best student in the world, um, but in in university, we believed that 50% was a pass, 51% was a distinction and 52% you were avoiding your friends. So it was Mm -hmm. very much get yourself through and enjoy the rest of life. Um, And then when it came to my, just before my final year, uh, my second last year, I had six months left over. Um, I applied for this grant to our power utilities company and sent in the application with no expectation whatsoever because, again, I wasn't exactly getting distinctions for all of my subjects. I wasn't doing badly, but I wasn't getting distinctions. And mm-hmm. I thought nothing of it. And the next day, I was on, a golf, on the golf course walking down one of the holes. I see a golf cart cruising up to me, and it's my father waving his hands crazily saying, get in the car, get in the car. You got an interview for your, for your bursary. So you better get in the car. So I ended up rocking up at my bursary interview in full golf gear mm-hmm. and smelling a little funky, funky from the, from the, from the day out. Um, and I got this bursary, which was a godsend. And then that was the start to the, to this whole journey. And I thought, great, I've got a secure job and everything. Later that year, 
end of 2004, 26th of December, a great big tsunami comes rolling in and my parents were on holiday in Thailand on PP Island and they unfortunately lost their lives in that situation. And that changed everything. Yes. That moment was crushing, uplifting. It was, it, it, the emotions can never be described as to how that rocked my world. Mm-hmm. But I look back on it with this, oh my God, this is quite crazy because it's like somebody had already set me up because I already had a job for the next year with mm-hmm. this company that I'd got the bursary from. So mm-hmm. you, you start wondering about these incredible coincidences in your life. Um, and it was quite funny because the, the night before on Christmas Day was my father's birthday. Um, right. So 25th of December. And there, it was 25th of December their time. Um, it was 24th uh, on our time because they were nine hours ahead. And my brother and I were supposed to go out for a, a meal at separate friends for Christmas Eve dinner. Decided both of us pulled rank and we just said, okay, no, we're actually just going to stay at home and rest. It was the last time we spoke to my parents. They phoned us that night. Happier than anything else. We're sitting on the yeah. beach, enjoying time there and Again, one of those coincidences where we were supposed to be out, we ended up both being in the same place and having the last conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And so there were all of these little coincidences that led us down this route. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, change was afoot. I then had to get on with the university and fortunately I have a big family and a lot of love surrounding me and a lot of support. So we weren't yeah. left high and dry. We had uh, people in our lives to, to bring us through. And I started in the corporate world where I thought I was in the best place I could possibly be. I had an immense salary for somebody who just walked out of, out of university and a cushy job because I needed to work a couple of yeah. hours a day because no one was looking after me or worried about it, a parastatal company. And mm-hmm. yeah, it changed my life completely. Mm-hmm. What, uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the evolution of your career that, that sure. happens beyond that because of, because of the way you, you, you then start to frame your life mm-hmm. uh, after losing your parents. Uh, what, when you go through something like that and you're far away, there's not much you can do what what could you do? How do you did, is the family was the family able to get involved to to figure out whether or not you'd be able to find your folks or at least repatriate? It was such a surreal situation because firstly, um, that morning of the twenty sixth, I got a phone call at six thirty in the morning. A, a friend of mine was crossing the Atlantic on a yacht, and his sister had gone to check um, the news and had seen that. She phoned me immediately and said, have you seen the news? And as soon as I turned Mm -hmm. on the TV and I saw this, I had this knowledge that it was already, that there wasn't much hope, but you cling to what you can. Yes. And then it became this backwards and forwards. How are we going to get there? Who's going to do it? How do you look for Mm -hmm. the body? You're talking, there were hundreds of thousands of people that died in that, in that event. So 
how do you balance that whole system out? I was adamant. I was ready to climb on the plane and go look for them. That I was 22 years old and sure. full of beans and, and obviously full of testosterone and ego and ready to, to go fight to find them. But in my heart, I also knew that this was a pretty futile um, thing. Even if they were alive, for them to be able to get in touch with us was near impossible because all communications had been wiped out. All of this yeah. started to roll out. And my uncles then stepped up and said, no, we're definitely going to be, we want to go. And I said, I want to go. And they said, no, it's, it will change you. You are not ready for something like this. You are going to stay here and we're making that decision for you. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere in my heart, I knew they were making the right decision for me. Yeah. And they went across and then had to go through morgues of people trying to identify bodies. Yeah. And unfortunately, that situation was incredibly taxing on both of them because of the fact that after drownings, your body swells and you get bloated and you don't recognize people the same way. Yeah. They thought they had found my mother, but they couldn't be sure. And there was no positive way of identifying him. Like a tattoo would have been the perfect way to say, that's the tattoo, it's on the right place, that's that person. But there were none of those sure. defining marks. Um, mm. And it took a process of six months to positively identify the bodies. We had to send DNA tests across from my brother and right. I to do uh, paternal tests. Mm -hmm. And they eventually found the bodies and how we repatriated them because of disease issues. They were cremated and then sent across. So we'd by that time already had a memorial service for them. And mm -hmm. we then had a, had a closing service for them once their ashes yeah. had arrived back here. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, in a circumstance like that, I'm, I mean, I, I'm assuming that that is uh, more than just a small blessing to be able to Put, I don't. I don't know whether closure is a great, the right way of putting it, but some sort of bookend or being able to say goodbye in, I guess, the best way you can. Yeah, I, I again, David, the 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 craziness of the situation. It was so outside of the realm of any normal understanding that that closure that we talk about. Took a very, it took a lot longer after that because even though somebody had sent the remains, you don't, you had never seen them passed away. So yeah. I remember lying on the couch and falling asleep and then dreaming that they rocked up back home and we'd spent all the money that they'd left us. We'd sold right. their business. And, and these moments stuck with me for at least three or four years afterwards trying to build that that closure. One of the right. biggest closures for me was actually going to Thailand. Uh, I went two years afterwards mm -hmm. and we went to the memorial service on PP Island and okay. took part in that and got to see the memorial stones with my parents' names on it. And that was a, a great release. Yeah. That must have been, um, it's not a, club you want to be part of, but must have been comforted and to be with those other people who had been through the exact same thing that you had been through and, and to uh, share that time with them and probably chat with some of those people. And that must have been something. 
Well, and again, I talk about coincidence and how things influence you and how things uh, get to you. My parents were actually meeting friends that day who were uh, in Phuket. And to get from Phuket to PP Island, there's a, about a 45-minute ferry that you have to take. They left on the ferry and that saved their lives because right. they were on the ferry when the tsunami hit. So at, in the open ocean, you, the tsunami is about 12 inches high. Yeah. And then we had another friend who was an extended friend who I didn't know at that stage, but two years later, we got to meet her. She was there for that and survived the yeah. whole situation. So you suddenly yeah. have other people that you, you are close to that you know, besides the people that we met at that time. And mm -hmm that you start going, it's not a coincidence that somebody is gone. When it's yeah. your time, it's your time. Yeah. That must have been quite something for those people who had gotten on the ferry too, because I imagine whenever I hear a story like that, there's a certain amount of survivor's guilt. Yeah. Even though absolutely. it's the randomness of life. And yeah. I mean, life is all about whether, whether or not we turn left or right at any moment and who we run into and who we meet and who we fall in love with and all that kind of stuff. Um, wow. So yeah. that's undoubtedly, with, with, for, for obvious reasons, that was something that greatly shaped your thinking on life and time and what, yeah. what you were going to do with the time you had. So once, um, once you had put your folks uh, to rest and, um, and you got back to sort of what your life was now, um, tell us a bit more about how that, how that, that continued to change what you wanted to do with, uh, with your situation. So the, the funny thing is, is what goes, what goes down must come up. And mm -hmm. my first trajectory was down as much as I turned into a positive person. Um, I sort of spiraled a little out of control thereafter. I had a job which was paying me great money, which was fantastic. And unfortunately it was a job that wasn't very challenging mm -hmm. and that allowed me to skive off work and I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I sat for the next three years working for this company, wondering what am I doing? You know, and mm -hmm. I was going into a deep depression. Things were just not working out. I remember one day just deciding, okay, I actually am not even going to work today because mm -hmm. I just can't face it. And my father was an avid videoer. So he used to video us from young um, all the way through to, uh, you know, till they died. And I had all these high eight cassette tapes from his camcorder. Wow. And I went off and I went to a secondhand, uh, like almost like a thrift shop, but a secondhand dealer, found a camera that could play those because I didn't have one. And I sat for a day watching those tapes. And it was this most incredible aha moment. It was so touching because I realized just how loved I was throughout my life by watching mm -hmm. those things. And yeah. fortunately that positivity kept on going, mm -hmm. but there was definitely moments where I started spiraling and I hated my job because I wasn't being challenged because I wasn't doing anything. So I decided, okay, I'm going to, I want to do what I love because of the fact that Life is too short, and I know that for a fact, and it can yeah. disappear any day. So it's time to take the reins and change. So I went onto a job site and had a look for 
a, a job as a game ranger, opened it up, looked through the first 10, looked at the salary, which was about $200 a month. And I said, well, passion doesn't pay. So I'm just going to stick this out and I'm going to try a different avenue within this. So I, I, I actually just closed the books on that and started to look for another job within environmental impact assessments or environmental consulting. And okay. I found an incredible job uh, with a beautiful lady who is a mentor that changed my life in a lot of ways and changed the way I guide um, because she was able to teach me to take complex situations and make them available to anyone of any understanding mm-hmm. because the people that were reading these reports that we're writing all the time, um, they were uh, not quite up to the task or the understanding level that they should have been. And I sat there for a year doing, again, seeing crazy places, working harder than I'd ever worked. And I had a breakup with my, girl, my then girlfriend and I went spiraling badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Deep depression, suicidal thoughts, horrible. It was just a, a, the worst time and the best time at the same time. And I, mm-hmm. I, the clarity in this comes because if I hadn't have been pushed that far, I would never have made the change to mm-hmm. do what I'm doing now. And I decided to chuck in the towel. My whole family, my boss, she looked at me and went, but why? You have mm-hmm. such a good job. You've got a good thing going here. I'll, I'll double your pay to stay. Yeah. But, and I just said, it's not, it's not about money. It's about life and finding me. Mm-hmm. And I sold everything. I got into tremendous financial difficulty because of the, the, rapid nature of the of the change and mm-hmm. the push that I made but once I got into the bush I became alive I came alive again a fire lit up inside me I found myself I found my calling I found my love and it was just a spectacular coming together of everything and for the next six months I got to study what I loved and turned into yeah. a genius. It was yeah. amazing. As soon as I followed my passion, I was the best at it because it was the only thing I loved. Yeah. How does one do that? Do you get hired? Do you, do you apply to get uh, to work for uh, a lodge and they train you? Or did you go to a, is there a college course uh, on uh, Game Rangers course? Or how, how does that work? So, so, David, there's a few routes that you can take. There's some... Um, college courses that you could do that could get you down that line. But mostly there's mm-hmm. guiding schools that yeah. are geared towards guiding itself. And again, one of the craziest things is because of the way the, the structure of it works, the guiding course was cost twice the amount that I'd earn in a year once I'd qualified. It was oh. just the nature of, of how the service mm-hmm. providers worked. And it was a live-in course. So I lived on a nature reserve for six months, four weeks on, one week off, like we would work. And it was such a strange thing because I went from owning my own two-bedroom home to mm-hmm. being in a bunk room with four yeah. other guys. Yeah. It's like being at camp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah camp. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was incredible to to lie in bed for the first time and experience the bush the way I had never experienced it, even though I went mm -hmm. on safari three, four times a year when my parents were alive, to suddenly now experiencing it, being centered in it, being right in that moment forever. You know, yeah. you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear hyenas whooping outside of your door where it feels mm -hmm. like they've just climbed into bed with you. And yes. it, it, it really, it's just, it's electrifying. Waking up and every morning and smelling the smells and hearing the sounds, it, there's something about nature that just completely grounds you. And it was a, a, a healer for my soul. It literally mm -hmm. climbed into me and cleaned me out in ways I did not think could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and then you also, once you were trained and you, uh, was, uh, was Sabi Sabi the first place, your first employer as a ranger? No. So once I had qualified, you had two choices. You could pay the company. So I had a six month course, then I could potentially pay the company a, uh, an extra thousand dollars and they would find a lodge to place you. And I thought to yeah. myself, no, this is, this is a contract right here. I don't need to pay nobody to get me a job, but it was 2008 yeah. and it was middle of the financial crisis and a lot of mm -hmm. lodges weren't hiring. So it took me two months to, to find a job, but somebody I knew, knew somebody who finally put me into a lodge called Tinga in the Kruger national park, which is, Right okay. next door to Sabi Sands, to the Sabi, to Sabi Sabi. Yes. And that was a incredible place to start. Um, mm -hmm. But again, they weren't busy. So I spent more, most of my days uh, painting chairs with creosote and just you know, doing admin jobs. I remember mm -hmm. one of my worst days was there was a drain block and I was designated to dig an eight foot deep hole to find the pipe, to yeah. then open that pipe up. And I remember so clearly being in this hole that was two feet <laughs> higher than I was. Yeah. Everyone sitting, drinking lemonade, watching me and laughing at the fact that I was doing this. <laughs> and I said to them, "There's no, I did not spend four years of my life studying what I did to sit and dig holes. Mm. And then I stuck the pipe, uh, the, the rod down the pipe to block, to clear that blocking and the shit just came flooding in and yes. I was climbing faster than Sylvester Stallone in cliffhanger. <laughs> I was out of that hole and that basically changed my ideal on that. So I went out I and I said, so. that <laughs> is it. This is not what I was cut that what I got into this for. And I sat down with a piece of paper and I wrote out a two page note affirmation of what I wanted in the jobs that I wanted. Two yes. pages as clear as day from what my room would look like to mm -hmm. every last detail that could come along. Yeah, and kind of like a vision away. board. Exactly like that. Put it away. Yeah. And, and I opened my computer and I went on a job search. There was an interview for, or there was an opportunity at Sabi Sabi, sent in the notification. The next day I was supposed to have a day off. So we had a thing called a floating day. They canceled mm -hmm. my floating day, the, the current lodge. Yes. I got a notification that next day that Sabi Sabi were, wanted to interview me. 
and it could happen in two days' time. That was the day that they moved my floating day to. So mm-hmm. it was perfect. I didn't have to move anything. I went there, had the interview, came back. They phoned me that day, said, cool, you got the job. When can you start? I said, I can start in a month because I have this, uh, I have to hand in my resignation. I handed in my resignation. They said to me, thank you very much. We don't need you. If you're going to leave, you leave now. So I packed my bags and I was on the reserve. So from the moment of writing that affirmation, the vision brought down to leaving Mm -hmm. the lodge was seven days. Yeah. Wow. And then when I drove into Sabi Sabi for the first time, I told, I phoned them back and said, listen, uh, you won't be sooner because I I can be there in two weeks and took two weeks for myself to pull myself towards myself. And then, Mm headed in and the first person I phoned the lodge to say, where should I go? And the first person I spoke to was going to be the most beautiful woman that I would ever meet. And that was my, my current wife. And as she answered the phone, I thought to myself, "Mm, she sounds quite pretty. And (laughs) so, so the, so the, the story rolled out from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, when, but by the time we'd gotten to, uh, we'd stayed at Little Bush. You guys had been dating for a little while. Yeah. So yeah. this uh, that that uh, that was you were really off to the races at that point. Once you once you got yourself over to uh, Sabi Sands. Totally. It, I mean, Sabi Sands was always going to be a, a pinnacle of most guides' careers, mm-hmm. and getting there again, everything works out the way it should work. You have a normally a six month induction period into yep. the thing where you don't drive guests. You just have to do all of the menial tasks and transfers and things like that. Cause they want to see if you're worthy of the position. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was little bush camp where there are only two guides. There was a spot open in one of the places there. One of the guides had left and they were looking for somebody to, take it over but nobody wanted that position because they didn't want to be so alone or mm. on their own out there and I just yeah. went up to the guys I said listen put me in coach I'm good yeah. and they said well if you want it you got it and it was a perfect yeah. place and that's what I wanted was the solitude I wanted the time to to enjoy the bush I wasn't in for the party I'd partied way too hard leading up to the change that Mm -hmm. it wasn't about that. It was about really centering myself into that. And I spent an incredible time, um, three years there. And then when Jenna, Jenna had left, my wife had left for my then girlfriend had left for a year. Mm -hmm. We then, our relationship grew stronger and she decided to come back. And then we moved to Bush Lodge where I right. then worked and I was working at Bush Lodge at that time, but because I was the assistant head ranger at the time, I was mm. in charge of site inspections for the familiarization trips for the BAM trips. Yep. And so I put myself on to drive you guys, not knowing that we would be longtime friends thereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, uh, because uh, not everybody gets a chance to go on safari and because everybody should, and this is a great opportunity, why don't you just uh, give us a glimpse of what a day in the bush is like for you and your guests, starting from, you know, the time when you wake up first thing in the morning. 
I mean, it's you're basically working on animal schedules, and because of the nature of the bush and the heat of Africa, um, we have an early start. So it generally starts with a knock on the door, me knocking on the door, going "Good morning, wake up call," and you're in. You get clothed in five to ten minutes. There's no putting on makeup or or doing any yep. of that dolling up. You come through. There's a nice cup of coffee waiting for you, a cup of tea, a uh, bite to eat, something light, and then we're out. And generally, I'm trying to get people out before the sun rises. Yeah. yeah. You, no animal waits for any person. So we get yeah. out there early. You spend about three hours out on a drive uh, exploring. And generally, it's not just one day. So the experience is built up over a number of days. Uh, in what I do now, I even have longer time than what I did in the lodges. Most of the time, like I think you guys were two nights that you were at the lodge and then you went on to another lodge. I stay now with guests for 10 to 14 days. So you have right. an incredible amount of time to build an experience, to know mm -hmm. we saw a lion there. We don't need to race to just see another lion that's sleeping. We need to do this. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to build an experience for people and show them something doing something. And then it's all about discovery, learning, uh, passion, time, and stopping again somewhere in the middle of nowhere, climbing out of the vehicle and enjoying a cup of coffee, which I always carry a, a bottle of Amarula, which is like Bailey's liqueur with me. Mm, yeah. uh, cream yeah. liqueur, chuck that in the coffee. It's a good way to kickstart the day. Everyone puts a smile on everyone's dial because they've been yeah. up since 5, 5 a.m. Um, yeah. Everyone lacks some personality at that time. <laughs> and, and, then, and then we'll go through and have a breakfast, do a bushwalk afterwards, which is also another very unique situation. Yeah, that's right. We did a bushwalk with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that was an incredible situation. Totally. Just because of the totally. uh, how you uh, you know spray up for ticks and all that kind of stuff, and walk in a in a in a single file row behind your uh, your uh, your guide who's got a rifle that he will never use, but just in case, and it makes people feel safer in case you run into a a big bull elephant, which we did on that day, ran into a huge bull elephant who flapped his ears at us, so we respectfully backed off. Uh, that was an amazing experience. Yeah, that was. I didn't expect to be doing that either. Yeah. It changes everything, David. Don't don't you feel that being on foot like that just is such a completely different experience to being in a vehicle? Well, I just yeah, I was telling people when I got back, you go on safari, and especially if you go on a bushwalk, it's the closest you're ever going to be to being part of the food chain. You know what I mean? You, you, <laughs> we don't have any other experience as humans these days where we worry about being eaten by something else. Now, that's not something that happens to people when they're vacationing in, in Kruger National Park. But you are you are out there and you are you are uh, uh, you have to be careful. You have to be respectful of the animals and you're vulnerable and you're vulnerable and you can feel it and it wakes you up and you feel in the moment. Yeah. There's nothing like you. Are, you are not still shaking off your sleep. You know, you are fully <laughs> exactly. awake and engaged. <laughs> it doesn't matter how early it is. There's nothing like the presence because there is no other place that you can be. You cannot be thinking about your bank account or what right. you did last week or what you're going to do next week. You are walking behind a guide who is carrying this rifle and you can hear everything. A twig breaks, you jump. I remember going on a bushwalk once where we were walking 
And there was a, a Franklin, uh, which is a little bird, like a partridge-sized bird that I like to call them heart attack birds. And mm-hmm. it was hiding in the bush. And they wait until you're just about to step on their head before they jump out and And I remember cocking the rifle and ready to blow the thing to smithereens because I thought it was a leopard or something that was going to eat us. So you're you're wholly held down in that moment. And if safari is like watching a movie, going on a bushwalk on a safari walk is like reading the book. The detail is incredible. It's not always about seeing big animals, but interpretation being in that vulnerable situation and being able to see things for what they are and how they work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was amazing. Um, that was a, such a, a, an eye-opening experience. And like you said, really, it was, uh, you know, it's impossible to not be in the moment um, because your, uh, your survival depends on it, that, that, that everybody is alert and paying attention to what's happening around them. Uh, that is not to say that people need to worry a lot when they go on a bushwalk. They are with people who are well-trained to deal with any circumstance, uh, as you were. Uh, but it's, it's, your, it's, a different, it's a different experience. Totally. You're right there. So you, you, will, you will go out and you will do a game drive in the morning, because that's when you, that's the, the amazing thing about that is you get out there and it's dark, and you get to catch the animals waking up. I, have, I took thousands of photos when I was on safari that week. And one of the photos is of uh, four lionesses yawning and just waking up. We'd caught them just as they were waking up and, and they were getting ready to go get um, uh, their little ones out of the thicket where they'd hid them for the night. Uh, and that was the kind of thing that you see in the morning. And then, and then you, you go back right to the, to lodge and then that's, you can, you can have your breakfast or lunch and decompress, grab a nap, swim in the pool. And then later on in the day, you're out doing a similar drive, but now it's at the end of the day as it's cooling down again and, and, uh, the animals are becoming more lively. Yeah, totally. And, and again, it's that cooling stage. It's, it's, we're out in the morning when it's cool, when they're active during the day, right. when they're sleeping, we're sleeping. And then in the evening, when they wake up again, we go back into that wake up stage. Let's get this going again, all the way through into dark. And that's where this, the experience changes again, because suddenly you're driving around in this open Land Rover or Land Cruiser. The tracker is in the front seat, shining his light from side to side and looking for eyes. And when you find Mm. something in the dark like that, or you don't find something, the apprehension, again, you're stuck in that moment. And one of the things I love is that switch off moment where you switch off the car, switch off the lights and tell everyone to look up. And suddenly Mm. there's this beaming Milky Way stretching across the, the sky which most people nowadays don't have the opportunity or the blessing to be able to see. And yeah. that's a game changer for people too. Yeah, absolutely. I was just, I, I, I was listening to what you were saying and I drifted off for one second there because I was thinking that, that the other night living in Toronto, you don't get a good sense of what the stars look like because there's so much light pollution. But I was out walking the dog the other night, our dog Ruby, and it was, uh, it was about midnight. And I stopped at one point, I looked up in the stars and I thought, let me take a moment to enjoy this because I take it for granted now because I've been here for a little while, but back home, I never was able to stop outside and pick out all the the constellations and whatnot and see them so clearly. But yeah, that's such a a gift, a wonderful thing to be able to do to, to, to shut the lights off and really take in the firmament above. Yes, exactly that. 
And the other thing, too, was when you go on your second game drive in the evening, you also get to see all the nocturnal animals, like yeah. some of the owls and other animals that are only out during the evening. Yeah, we, we also missed out on the sundowners. They're, they're stopping for a good old gin and tonic yeah. as the sun's, sun's dipping behind the horizon. Yeah, that's a great experience. Everybody loves that. Yeah. Once again, you stop the vehicle, you open up. There's almost like a bar on the back of the, the vehicle. There's a trunk that gets opened up. And what would you like to drink? What would you like to drink? There was some appetizers that were passed around or some snacks. And everybody just kind of takes in the evening and, uh, you know, has a toast. And uh, that's a, a, such a great experience um, as well. That's a fun part of the experience. It makes me, it makes me think of a, a story where I had a newlywed couple and we were out doing sundowners and it just got past that into that twilight period. The light was dropping off fast yeah. and we were sitting chatting. It was just me and my tracker and these two guests and we were having this chat. And the next thing the wife said, oh, uh, what's that walking over there? Is that a leopard? Yeah. And the next thing all I heard was as the husband was climbing over the hood of the vehicle to get into the vehicle. <laughs> and I looked back and he was in the passenger seat and the wife was sitting there going, and what about me? She said, survival of the fittest, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how long that marriage lasted. Yeah, that reminds me of going out diving once. I forget where it was. I think it was in South Africa. On that trip, we were out diving and there was a couple in our boat and uh, the woman got horribly seasick. And then um, the, uh, the, the skipper, uh, we stopped the boat and he gave her some advice on how she could get over that and get into the water. She didn't want to. She was going to stay on the boat. And then so he kind of looked around and he said to the husband, OK, well, well the rest of us are going to drop in. What would you like to do? And you see, he kind of says, ah, oh, she'll be fine. I'll go with the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to attract fish for us. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she put that in her mental notes, I'm sure. I don't know yeah. if they're together either. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, um, uh, and also, so a big part of your journey too, when you go out on, on a safari experience is the tracker. Um, now the trackers are generally, they're almost always a local tribes people, local tribesmen, right? Who, who yeah. have had a, a long history in, in the, uh, a, you know, a great knowledge of the bush. Is that uh, fair to say? Well, so these guys grew up because of the apartheid regime they were all anyone that lived inside kruger national park was moved out um, mm. and a lot of these trackers got their know-how from their uh time tending cattle and tracking their cattle down so yes. they got to know how to look at tracks what's fresh which way were they going and so the skills become became more honed and as a luxury safari uh, side of things grew these trackers were then adopted trained worked in and then became professional trackers now mm -hmm. the relationship as a guide as a ranger that you create with your tracker and i was blessed to have three incredible trackers in my time in sabi sabi uh last one being jack okay. and he was my brother my brother from another mother he mm -hmm. honestly was just a person i trusted implicitly with my life i used to spend at least eight hours a day with the guy and we both just got on like a house on fire and it mm. was this incredible relationship where if he nodded his head i knew what he was thinking and if i started the vehicle he knew where i was going and, and it became this incredible thing but to be part of that when you 
even as a guide, when you get off and you follow your tracker and you find lion tracks and that hand goes up and his hand goes up and he, ah, which means lion tracks, then mm-hmm. you're on it. So the excitement's yeah. up and then we start moving around trying to track out where, where they went. And yeah. eventually at some stage we'll grab the rifle, leave the guests in the vehicle as bait, and we'll mm-hmm. go out looking for, <laughs> <laughs> looking for the animals. And yeah. we'll go out on foot. And when you see what these guys, how these guys can see what is going on, where I was pretty adept at finding a track, but these guys made me look like amateur hour all the time. Like, where did it go, Jack? And he'll show you the toe of a lion where he stepped on the grass and his toes touched a bit of dirt. Like, Jack, there's yeah. no waste. You are absolutely dreaming that it isn't a lion track that is from something else. And within 100 meters, all you hear is, as the lions then give you a little rustle to say, listen, we're here, don't come any closer. So being with those guys and watching them work and how they understand what's going on there is unbelievable. I remember one experience with the tracker. Uh, I believe one of the, I I think it was when we were with you. Did you have a tracker named Crimson? Yes, yes. Crimson was the was the tracker that day, and we were going through the bush, and it was uh, it was uh, the sun had gone down, and in the, he, you stopped the vehicle. He mentioned something to you. You and stop you stopped the vehicle, and he pointed off way off into the bush, and it was just as far as I was concerned, it was pitch dark, <laughs> and he he got off out of the vehicle, or you did, and walked off like I don't know like thirty meters into the trees, and came back with a leaf with a, a chameleon, I think it was, that might have been an inch long that yeah. he had spotted on a branch, right? Because it's all about the it's all about the eye following and seeing things that are out of place or whatever. Yes, exactly. I don't know how he saw this thing, but he walked all the way back and he had this tiny little thing on, <laughs> on a leaf and said, look at this. <laughs> he looked at it for a while and said, how did he spot that? <laughs> it's a green chameleon and a green tree, easy to find. Yes, exactly. Yeah, in pitch dark. <laughs> In the pitch yeah. dark with no city lights yeah. or anything, you know, just, yeah, no, that was amazing. We used to have competitions to see who could find the most. So it was, we used to call it chameleon tennis. So, yeah. okay, I got one. Oh, there's one. There's one. And in the summer, they get even you know, like an inch, those tiny little ones, and they're all over the grass everywhere. And it's just insane that you can even see them. Yeah. No, that was amazing. That was a pretty good show of skill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. One of the funny and the other funny stories, uh, just a completely unrelated thing, but here we were, we stopped and at one point we went into uh, uh, a tribal village and we were, and Crimson was with us and we were, you know, shown, you know, how some of the ladies in town made peanut butter and a few different things. And we went to school and chatted with children and got a, got a sense of sort of what it was like to be in a, in a, live in a tribal village in, in uh, Cougar National Park. And so we were talking to Crimson and he said to me at one point, and this is, so this is uh, 2013, there was a lot of stuff going on in the city of Toronto, which was uh, uh, a little off and I'll get that to get, get there in a minute. So he was saying, well, where are you guys from again? And I said, well, we're from Toronto. And he said to me, oh, Rob Ford. Rob <laughs> Ford was the mayor of Toronto at the time who had been, who was suspected of being a crack cocaine smoker <laughs> and he of course was all over the news all over the world and here crimson was living in this village in 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 uh in um, kruger national park 
And he had been following the news as well as to uh, the shenanigans of uh, Rob Ford, the uh, Toronto's crack smoking mayor. I thought, wow, Too small funny. world. Yeah, absolutely. The power of information dissemination. So that was a great experience for us. We we really ran the gamut that week of all the different uh, experiences at different lodges and uh, met all kinds of rangers and uh, and uh, trackers. And so I, you continued to work at Sabi Sabi for a, a, a while after that. And then you decided that you were going to up the ante and you wanted to start your own business. Why don't you talk about yeah. um, what that would entail? So the at that time, it was a an idea of growth. Um, was I going to be a guide in a lodge with no personal growth that could happen besides me becoming a lodge manager and then losing my passion? Because again, I would Mm -hmm. be taken out of the bush and into administration, which is the bane of my existence. Um, and I decided, and Jen and I were at that stage engaged to be married. And we wanted more for our kids and to, to sure. do a bit of change. So I took the big leap. I actually, at that stage, went through the mental note and through the old programming of, okay, I have a beautiful degree that I'm going to go back to and I'm going to do another corporate job again, which I hated in the first place. But this seemed like the great, that old program running through my brain all over again. And for months, I was back and forth and I said, okay, no, I want to be a private guide. And what a private guide does effectively is you then take and you book people on a trip and you follow them from start to finish. You make sure that Mm -hmm. trip runs as smoothly as possible. And I was back and forth with the idea, back and forth, back and forth. And I remember literally my gut turning every time I actually sent out uh, my CV to people, my resume to companies for this job as an environmental consultant all over again. Mm -hmm. I didn't receive one response, not a bite, nothing. No one wanted anything to do with me. And eventually I said to Jenna, no, listen, my gut is telling me I need to stick with this. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to take the leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And I left Sabi Sabi. And the moment I put out, this is a sad day to leave, but I'm excited to go on this next journey. Uh, Someone I had guided before and who used to work at Sabi Sabi contacted me Mm -hmm. immediately and said, listen, I have this incredible company in the US that does freelance stuff. um, And they're called Natural Habitat Adventures. And they do trips all over the world. Would you be interested if I set you up with an interview? Black I'm, I'm in. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't have to. This is, I'm in. And so I got the interview there. And in the meantime, I, as a photographer, I started doing real estate photography for real estate agents wanting to sell things, doing architectural photography for lodges, just trying to make ends meet while I got the guiding thing going. Because it's not easy to just drive out, go out of your comfort zone, then send an email to people you know and then say, Come, guys, come on a trip with me. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of trust in people goes that way when you say that first off and you've just left. People are not going to entrust yeah. you with $20,000 and say, yeah, book me a trip, please. I'm very, I trust you impeccably with all my money. And mm-hmm. So it takes a bit of time, and I was very fortunate in just the way things rolled out. I still 
uh, do a lot of guiding for natural habitat adventures, and they have been incredible to me, especially over this time now, um, because we're not working. So I've been doing a lot of webinars and things for them. Yeah. But the private guiding side of things has really started to gain its momentum. And I try to keep my trips to about 100 days a year that I'm away mm-hmm. from home. I have two, two kids at home. And my wife will kill me if I'm away any longer than that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's all about booking people. And it's, it's high-end safari. So I like doing the, the luxury stuff where we have private planes and move around and see some incredible places. I can really guarantee an incredible experience based on the places we get to go. And I just yeah. make sure that everything runs smoothly, make sure that all the trip is joined together, like I say, is creating that experience over a longer period of time, not just two days. Yeah. Well, and then, and, and, and too, I mean, the ability to, to go out and do those tours in other places means that you're not, you know, before you were in Kruger National Park, it's amazing what you can experience there, but you're not going to be able to see silverback gorillas in Kruger yeah. National Park. So, I mean, some of the, you know, I followed you, uh, your photos. Because you've also become a, a fantastic photographer as well, based on 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 uh, work you you do with uh, now Sony, and you work with them, okay. and and, and uh, they get you uh, send you all kinds of great gear, and you go out and yeah. you get to test out their equipment. So I've seen some of your photos that you've taken, and was it Uganda where you went to see the silverbacks? Uganda and Rwanda. So I do and quite Rwanda. a few trips through through both areas, and like you say, David, it it was a huge thing because. Being on Sabi Sabi was an incredible experience because you get to know the animals there intimately. It sounds weird, but territorial animals like lions and leopards, you get to know each individual, what their habits are, what their personalities are like, all of that stuff. But I, I wanted to see other wildernesses. People often ask me now, what's your favorite place to visit? And mm-hmm. I, my answer is always one that I've never been to. Yeah, right. Sure. I, I'm driven by exploration, this, this will to see places and see things that other people don't often get the chance to. And so I do trips through Uganda, Rwanda, Zambia, Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, Zimbabwe, um, Madagascar. And the list is growing. And the idea now is to, to expand across the world. So I want to get up to India. Polar bears, I've already got guests that we're starting to plan a trip to uh, the polar bears in Svalbard, uh, which is just off of Norway and in mm-hmm. Norway on a tiny little boat that sleeps 12 people. Wow. And you go out and you see polar bears any time of the day because it's daytime the whole day. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I really want to ex- expand that and, and see the other natural wonders of the world. Yeah, well, we discussed before, you're going to have to come down and visit us in Costa Rica because there's plenty to see here, of course. <laughs> Very well yeah. known for being a ecotourism uh, uh, destination. And, yeah. uh, and then also maybe uh, um, come to North America sometime and go out to Algonquin Park or uh, up into the Rockies. Uh, yeah, this, it's amazing. There's just so much uh, that this world offers and, uh, and, uh, and not enough time. So you really have to, uh, to uh, take those opportunities when you can. Well, I, again, I, I urge people to, to do it and take the time out to go visit these incredible places, whether it's the ones on your doorstep or other side of the world. But I think with COVID-19, 
we're all a little travel starved and homebound uh, cabin fever has kicked in and everyone wants out. Yes. So what better time to reconnect with the planet than now? Yeah. I think it's the best time on the planet at the moment that we've had to actually get out. And there are so many good deals going on because of the yeah. fact that tourism has been hit so hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one big part of uh, what's happening right now, this, this stop we've had in our lives where we've got time to think. And a lot of people are also going to be thinking about re figuring out how they're going to live their lives, what they're going to do for work. Uh, it's so amazing that you came to a fork in the road, um, you know, not a place where anybody would want to be. Um, but you were given all kinds of messages, right? That the universe lend you a hand. Uh, yeah. it, it reached out to you and you, you, you took those messages. You took that, 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 uh, that hand that was reached out and you did something about it. So congratulations to you. A lot of people don't do that. Thank you, David. But that changed your life forever. Um, so I hope a lot of people sort of look at this period in their in their life and, and use it as a, as a time to reflect and a time to figure out how they're going to move forward and, and better themselves like you did. What do you hope to be doing in 10 years from now? Exactly this. I, I'm an educator. I will always be an educator. I'll probably slow down on how many trips I do. Um, mm -hmm. My... Complete goal will be to guide a few trips, to have a few trips that I can go do photography and be completely creative on my own. And, yes. and then in the off times, I would like to be speaking to people, educating people about nature, about life, about following intuition and, and love and finding passion because it's changed my life so much for the better um, that I can't look back at the the what could be termed as disastrous things and see them as anything else but blessings in my life yeah yeah well that's a great attitude to have and that's one of the reasons why we so much enjoyed spending time with you in the bush and then uh, dinners and drinks and uh you uh you, you are a great educator and uh you're such a fun person to be around and and you're such a good ambassador for uh, south africa and for uh the wildlife and, and bush um, that uh, I would suggest uh, people get in touch with you and, and figure out how to uh, pool their pool their dollars together and get get that uh, monumental South African or African trip planned because um, going to Africa will change your life. You will you, there's a connection that you feel when you go to Africa when you're out there when you're in the bush that you can feel like this is this is indeed where it all started. This is where we come from. Uh, no matter what color we are or creed or whatever, this is where this is where we all started. This is where it all started. And, and you feel that when you're there. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, David. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Duguvea. If you're interested in checking out one of Richard's wildlife photography webinars, go to Sony Alpha SA on Instagram and like and follow Sony Alpha SA on Facebook as well. I also suggest you friend Richard Duguvea on Facebook and follow him on Instagram as well as he constantly posts amazing safari pics and videos. And finally, if you would like to hire Richard as your personal guide for a once in a lifetime tailor made luxury safari experience, visit 
safariarchitects.com or email him directly at richard at safariarchitects.com. Take it from me, you will not be disappointed. Also, thanks again to Mr. Jerry Stamp, who wrote and performed the Cool Story theme song and all of the jingles and stings that appear on the show. Do yourselves a favor and look for Jerry's music wherever you stream. And finally, thank you for listening. Until next time, Pura Vida. Everybody's got a story What's yours?